Hello, and welcome to this session on Deworming Done Differently by Katie Fantaguzzi. I'm Sienna, and I'll be the MC for the session. We'll be starting with a 15-minute talk by Katie, followed by a live Q&A session, where Katie will be able to respond to your questions. Now, I would like to introduce our speaker for the session. Prior to joining the SCI Foundation in 2015, Katie Fantaguzzi worked in the private sector as a healthcare consultant in the United States. She has experience capitalizing on data to inform strategic decision-making and specializes in promoting efficiency and cost-effectiveness. Her multidisciplinary background in health, political science, economics, and business provide key insights for solving complex problems. Here's Katie. Hello, welcome to the session. Thank you for joining. My name is Katie Fantaguzzi, and I am the Senior Monitoring, Evaluation, and Research Advisor for the SCI Foundation. And today, over the next 15 minutes or so, I'd like to talk to you about who SCI Foundation is, what's special about the work that we do, and why it matters to the individuals we serve and to the societies where they live and work. So who is SCI and what do we do? Well, to give a bit of background, SCI Foundation was initially created as the Schistosomiasis Control Initiative in 2002 with funding from the Gates Foundation. And it was created underneath uh, the umbrella of the Imperial College London. However, in July of 2019, SCI spun out and became an independent charity under a new name, SCI Foundation. It's the same individuals uh, working together on the same mission. Um, however, it's a new administrative structure. And the vision of SCI Foundation is that we want to see a world that's free of preventable disease where everyone everywhere can reach their full potential. And we completely recognize that this is a lofty and ambitious goal. Um, and we don't think that this is going to be realized in the short term, but we know that it's important work to do. Presently, SCI Foundation focuses on treating parasitic worm infections and supporting treatment for other neglected tropical diseases. What are parasitic worm infections? Well, the first thing to know is that they're extremely common. It's estimated that these infections uh, affect over 1 billion people worldwide. When we're talking about parasitic worm infections, we're really talking about two different categories of disease. The first is schistosomiasis, and the second is intestinal worms, or often called soil-transmitted helminths. And these include things like infection by hookworm, roundworm, or whipworm. And these are both underneath the larger auspices of neglected tropical disease. In general, they affect people who do not have access to clean water or sanitation. And those people are often the world's poorest individuals. In general, parasitic worm infections fall disproportionately on school-aged children. These worm infections do significant harm both to individuals and to the societies where they are endemic. They impair childhood development, they reduce school attendance, they reduce full economic participation, they cause internal organ damage, they can increase the risk of opportunistic infections like HIV in women, and they can cause infertility as well. I mentioned that there are two categories of disease. The first, just to give a brief overview, is schistosomiasis. And the way that you, an individual contracts schistosomiasis is by entering into contaminated fresh water through a routine activity like bathing or fishing or swimming, things that people do and have to do every single day. These worms can enter through unbroken skin 
they settle into the blood vessels and they lay eggs, which then cause disease. The other group of disease that we're discussing is the intestinal worm infections or STH for short. And these infect individuals in a very different way. People become infected by either ingesting eggs, by unwashed fruit and vegetables, for example, or by larvae that hatches in the soil, penetrating through their skin. And the adult worms live in the intestines and they feed on the host tissue. The good news about both of these diseases is that treatment is effective and safe and relatively affordable. It's important that treatment is achieved early and regularly in order to do the most benefit. But the effects of treatment aren't just on the individuals who receive these pills to cure disease, but they also can have far-reaching effects. First, on the health. Treating individuals reduces prevalence and intensity of infection, which is in and of itself a good thing. Reducing people who have disease is a, is a lofty goal and a benefit in itself. It reduces morbidity but it also reduces the risk of opportunistic infections, some of which carry significant mortality with them. Additionally, they have benefits on a social level. They can reduce stigma and disability and promote inclusion and equity by treating people and freeing them from these infections. There was work that a lot of people are familiar with that was done um, by a group of development economists, including a fellow presenter, Michael Kramer, and uh, uh, others that looked into the educational benefits of deworming. And what they found was that improved educational attainment, reduced absenteeism, and an increased school participation. Another group of development economists, including um, some of those who were involved in the initial study, followed a group of children for 20 years to see what are the effects over a longer period of time by deworming. And are they sustained or do they fizzle pretty rapidly after treatment ends. And what they found was that actually after 20 years, children who had received consistent treatment over a period of time actually had higher hourly earnings, they had increased consumption, and they had reduced agricultural hours, which are often not compensated as well as other types of um, economic activity. So overall, they estimated, in their opinion conservatively, that investment in deworming delivered about a 37% rate of return, which is fantastic in any circumstances. So how do we achieve these benefits? What do SCI-supported programs do specifically? Well, as a starting point, it's good to take a step back and understand where these parasitic worm infections are prevalent. And as you can see, there's a large concentration in Sub-Saharan Africa. SCI works presently in 13 countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. We treat schistosomiasis, soil transmitted helminthiasis, and also uh, we support treatments for other neglected tropical diseases that are amenable to um, preventive chemotherapy, for example, lymphatic filariasis and onchocerciasis. And it's estimated that SCI itself is responsible for about 50% of global schistosomiasis treatments. In our most recent financial year, SCI treated about 48 million people, delivering 61.5 million treatments for the diseases I just mentioned. So as a smaller organization, we feel that this is uh, quite a substantial contribution to reducing transmission and infection of these diseases. How do treatment programs work? 
Well, in general, the way treatment programs work on the ground is that we do large-scale treatment, which is called MDA or mass drug administration. We help facilitate treatments through ministries of health and ministries of education. And we work to deliver drugs to school where they're given to children um, by volunteers in some cases and community drug distributors. The safety record of these treatments is excellent. Um, and they're given to everybody re regardless of what their diagnostic status is. It doesn't matter if they actually have worms or they don't have worms. Because the treatment is so safe and effective, it's given to everyone. And that helps keep these programs cost effective. Now, as you might see in this 2020 mindset, there's a large group of people huddled closely together. So it's not something that we're able to do at this time due to COVID-19. Um, school treatment has proven to be um, not feasible at the moment. And so SCI, along with other organizations, have considered and, and made progress with delivering treatments in a different distribution method by going door to door. But of course, these are challenges of today and they are for this foreseeable future. So how do these programs actually work over time? Well, they always start out with annual planning. You have to make a plan, you have to figure out what you want to achieve and how you're going to achieve it. And once that's settled, then there are procurement and logistical considerations that are taken on board and then they're deployed and executed. And once drugs are delivered, where they need to go, and I should mention that those drugs are often donated by pharmaceutical companies. They're delivered to the places where treatments will take place. There's a training where community drug distributors learn the proper way to organize drug distributions. And there's also supervision that takes place to ensure that this is done as intended. Once that takes place, there is a advertising campaign basically that happens where it's called social mobilization, where we want the community where this treatment will take place to understand why it's important, what it is and when it is so that they can make sure that children attend. And then once treatment takes place, then it's also important to ensure that the treatment took place as intended or as reported. And so there's a lot of monitoring and evaluation work that happens to ensure that there was acceptable coverage meaning that the children who were intended to receive treatment did actually swallowed pills. And also that when children ingest these pills, that that's having some effect on prevalence, that we're seeing a reduction in the number of people who are infected, or that when people are infected, they have lower intensity infection, meaning that there are fewer worms or they have reduced morbidity, meaning they're less sick. And then we use that information in order to inform the annual planning cycle for the next year so that programs are adaptive and they're learning and they're working as effectively and efficiently as possible. Of course, we all know that things don't always go as planned, particularly when working in somewhat unstable environments. We're familiar currently with COVID-19 and I mentioned how that has had an impact on drug distribution and how we're doing that. But that's not the first time SCI has encountered a pandemic or an outbreak situation. Um, previously, we worked in Liberia when Ebola was a massive problem there. And so um, we are able to flex and adapt working through the ministries of health to ensure that programs can, can move forward safely um, while also ensuring that, um, that necessary stoppages happen if appropriate.
But in addition to pandemics and health issues that arise, there are also concerns that sometimes happen related to the weather. As I mentioned previously that uh, we frequently work in remote areas because the communities that we serve are often the poorest, they're the, the furthest out sometimes. And so floods and rains make it make the roads impassable and we can't get there to deliver treatments. And so sometimes things uh, need to change shape or need to be delayed as a result of that. In addition, uh, political unrest is a, a huge problem um, and, and elections present issues as well. And then there's a societal element that presents a challenge in that we're treating school-aged children. Not all children can attend school. And so it, we want to make sure that we're reaching children who are not attending school and finding these kids and making sure that they're able to also benefit from treatment is very important to us. What is SCI's approach? Well, the programs we support are aligned with the WHO coverage targets and also the roadmaps that are released and they align with the sustainable development goals. We also wanna ensure that they're equitably distributed, both in terms of wealth status and gender. But it's important work and it's, it's good for us to remember that even one round of treatment can reduce infections by up to 60%. SCI works in delivering programs by supporting ministries of health, but we also do quite a bit of research and, uh, and helping to develop guidance and guidelines for treatment of these diseases on an international level. Some of the current research projects SCI is involved in is an FGS pilot study, FGS standing for female genital schistosomiasis. And that is um, looking at how female genital schistosomiasis is not often diagnosed or understood. And so we want to find ways to help embed this in the national health system so that women can be treated. In addition, SCI works on the ADOPT program, which is an international consortium that is developing a pediatric formulation of Proziquantel. We deliver drugs to children and these drugs are large and bitter. And so a pediatric formulation would make that much more acceptable for children to take. Additionally, SCI works on the Morbid Project, which is working to have uh, a better understanding of the association between morbidity and prevalence and programmatic decision-making. So how many people need to be infected in order to make certain decisions to ensure that these programs are working to achieve elimination. I wanna take a moment before I run out of time to thank the effective altruism supporters SCI Foundation would not be here if it weren't for the EA community. In 2019, 43% of SCI's donations were attributed to GiveWell, but the year before that, 92% of don donations were attributed to GiveWell. Most of the funds that we received were unrestricted, which is very important in allowing us to plug holes in programs that maybe where things were unexpected. For example, with COVID-19, it would allow us to purchase protective equipment, um, and to help fund door-to-door -door distribution um, and things like that where, where we need to adapt and change as a result of changing circumstances. And so we thank you very much for your support. Cost efficiency is extremely important to SCIF and we recognize that as a small organization, it's important that overhead 
not be a main area of spending. As you can see, only about 13% of SCI's budget is spent on overhead, while 87% is spent on actual programmatic costs. There's a lot of work yet to be done. SCI um, is continuing in this every step of the way, but presently, schistosomiasis, about 39% of people who need treatment for schisto are receiving it, and that's about 50% for intestinal worms or STH. So there's a lot of work to be done still. And it's, it's something that means a lot to us because we know that these programs aren't just benefiting the children who receive treatment. They're also helping to build and develop societies. And these impacts can have wide ranging effects and they can be long lasting. And that is essential that work continue and be built upon and sustained. And we thank you very much for contributing to our work. Thank you for that talk, Katie. I see we have had a number of questions submitted. So let's go to the first one. Could deworming be achieved through cash transfers, potentially reducing some distribution costs to remote areas, or do market failures prevent this from being viable? That's a great question. I, I think that the problem with deworming, as you've seen, is it's not an issue, first of all, that local populations are aware of. Oftentimes, local populations think that infection with schistosomiasis is because they've reached maturity. So one of the one of the things that sometimes happens when people are very, very, very affected with worms is that they'll get swollen bellies or they'll have dark colored urine. And they see that as a sign of maturity rather than of an infection. And so I think that oftentimes these communities don't even realize that there is a problem. And so I don't think that it would be prioritized enough. And also it's an infectious disease, unfortunately. Um, and much like we're all aware of now, certain people not behaving in the right way mean that a community can be at risk. So. Personally, I don't see that as being a viable solution, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is pretty concerning. Um, cool. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next question. Uh, what are the prospects for gene drives that attack worms' reproductive process? Or could we address the problem by just treating the water bodies where the worms live? Yeah, that's a, another good question. So the issue with the environmental solutions is that Schistosomiasis is transmitted. There's an intermediate host that's a snail. And so you could theoretically kill the snails and then get rid of schistosomiasis. Unfortunately, with current methods, you would kill a lot of marine life as well. Um, and you could also potentially um, lead to problems in humans too, because these are freshwater bodies that people use for fishing and bathing and drinking. And so then that contamination could cause serious consequences for the environment as well as the human population that would be unintended. Yeah, thank you. Um, so this seems like a pretty interesting question. Uh, how would you compare SCI, SCI against uh, to against Malaria Foundation and other give, give well recommended charities? Yeah. If a prospective oh. donor, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, if a prospective donor were struggling to decide between the two, how would you decide, decide between them? Well, I think they're both very worthy causes. I think the, the thing that happens oftentimes is that malaria gets a lot of attention relative to other cause areas because it causes death directly. Whereas worming, deworming programs, that issue, soil transmitted helminths and schistosomiasis, very rarely cause death directly. And so I think as far as getting attention and people feeling drawn emotionally to donate, 
oftentimes they'll they'll be attracted to donating to malaria or TB or HIV or other things that seem to cause direct death. Um, and so deworming is not in that category. And so it's often overlooked or deprioritized because it, it causes some oftentimes low levels of morbidity in, in populations that are affected. It doesn't mean that they're not deeply affected by these conditions. They're oftentimes their educational attainment is impacted, which then causes them to not be able to participate fully in society or in the economy. So there are massive detrimental effects of worm disease, but it's, it doesn't cause death directly. And so I think that um, in that way, there's often not as much motivation to donate to deworming or other areas like that. Yeah, for sure. I guess flowing on from that, how do you think the current pandemic is impacting um, SCI's work? So the, the current pandemic is causing disruption in some ways. Um, luckily, Africa has not seen the same level of disruption as the, you know, Europe and, and other areas of the world, which is the good news, but it still is causing a lot of problems. Um, schools have been closed. The WHO also issued guidance that suspended NTD programs for a while, but now it seems that things are starting to open up a little bit more. SCI has the benefit of working through the ministries of health in the countries where we work. And so we can really be guided by them about when it's safe, when we can tack on activities with other things that are going on in country. Um, and we can, we can work in that way. However, we have to do it safely. And that means that now we're requiring PPE where we wouldn't have before, which is costly. And also we can't have large groups of people gathered for drug distributions. And so what that means is that we have in many cases needed to move to a door-to-door -door distribution. So that means more time. You have to go instead of just to one school, now you need to go door-to-door -door and wait for somebody to open it and find it. So it, it has caused time constraints. It's caused availability. It's caused logistical issues. So it has caused some disruptions, but we're, we're hopeful that things will improve even further and that there won't be disruptions to the same scale going forward. Yep. Um, yeah, it really does sound like a difficult issue to overcome, but it sounds like you guys are doing a good job. Um, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for talking, Katie, and thanks for watching.